Okay. Um, so it's good to be with you guys today. Um, yeah, I, it, I'm not going to lie. Uh, prepping for this lecture, if I said that it was my easiest prep, I would be lying. If I said it was my favorite passage, I probably would not be truthful. So I say that to encourage you. If you did the homework and you came um, away discouraged or downtrodden, um, that is not just you. That's everyone. It was a really hard scripture. But... First Timothy reminds us that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting um, in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it is hard, but it is good. And so we're going to go ahead and just dive straight in. We are in James 3, 1 through 12. I'm going to read it first, <coughs> excuse me, as always, so that it can be at the forefront of our minds. So James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if one, anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their, body, um, their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, um, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being um, it can be t can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour, um, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, so to start us, I want us to take a quick look at the power of the spoken word and the priority in God's heart of spoken word. So I have like a small diagram. It is not inclusive. It is just for us to kind of get like an idea of the theme of spoken word throughout scripture, okay? So the very first thing we see, the very first words we hear of God um, are those, let it be light. And so we see from the very get-go, this is our clue, that when God speaks, out comes life, light, creativity, um, and ordering the chaos. He was in, it says that it was void and chaotic, and he orders it with his speech, and he, or, um, and he produces life and light, right? Then in the next chapter, we see um, the consequences of God's word. We can choose to obey God's word and continue um, down the path of life. Or if we disobey, God says it's going to lead to death. Not long after, the serpent um, comes in slithering and with his word perverts and distorts God's word to cause dissension and ultimately introduces death into Adam and Eve's world. So if we were doing our homework here and we have like two little you know, charts, we could say for God's word, God's word we could describe as um, life-giving, light-giving, ordering, um, creative, and then for the servants, in contrast, we would say um, causing doubt, 
um, causing dissension, perversion, distortion, and then ultimately death, okay? And so we need to kind of hold those two in the back of our minds as we're studying this because that is our intro into the spoken word in the Bible and throughout time. So um, after that, we start looking at like the Israelites and all of the Old Testament, and we see a history of obedience and disobedience to God's word and like what that causes. We see Abraham not trusting that doubt again um, that God is going to provide him a heritage. And so he has Ishmael of his own accord because he doesn't trust that God is going to give him the son. But then we um, see that his faith is turned to righteousness, is credited to him as righteousness when he takes Isaac up um, to sacrifice. And God obviously spares Isaac, but we see that he trusts God's word. He knows that God is good um, good to his word. Um, also, um, we see the Israels in the promised land. What did God use to actually um, initiate the freeing of the Israels from Egypt? His words. He used the burning bush. He called out to Moses. Um, and so those words are starting to free his people. Those words are caring and providing through you know, to his people. Um, they are building relationship with his people of like how we are going to have this you know, kind of relationship. Um, and then also promising the promised land. And the Israelites doubt that he is going to deliver them into the promised land. And so there are repercussions. Um, But finally, praise the Lord, we get to the New Testament. um, And the word comes down to dwell with us and to bring salvation to us. And so in John 1, um, verses 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so they're talking about Jesus is the word. Um, We are hearing and seeing life and light again, right? Um, Creation. Um, And then in John 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him um, who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus himself is saying, my word will give you life. If you only will believe it and obey it, like my word will give you life. Lastly, you know, flashing forward all the way to Revelation, we see God's word um, declared as trustworthy and true in finality and eternally, like kind of the stamp on the letter. Um, and so Revelation, it said, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to him, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And we should hear in those verses the same thing that we heard right at the end about neither can a salt um, pond yield fresh water and then the like salt water and the uh, fresh water in the spring. That's that same kind of verbiage to like recall to our minds and everything. And Christ is saying... It's trustworthy, it's true. From the beginning, my first word was the beginning, and I issued forth life and light, and I have finished it, it is done, and there's a stamp on it. Um, so we look at that just to kind of see the um, importance to God's heart for spoken word before we start looking at our own spoken word. James warns us that there's not a man on this earth that can tame the tongue. Um, He says that, you know, they're like like an endurance athlete. So, um, fun fact, my parents are both endurance athletes. Um, I did not inherit the gene. My dad 
um, ran so many marathons that his body gave out and he switched to cycling and decided to do the like 150 miles. Um, literally, he did a race called the Triple Bypass. 150 miles up three different passes, mountain passes in Colorado. His brakes froze as he's going down 35 miles an hour on a bike. Yes, um, and then my mother um, started with half marathons, went to marathons, then ultra marathons. I have done two lowly half marathons, but I'll tell you what I do, like I have done, and that's a lot of race prep. <coughs> we have had many a carb load dinner on a Friday night and on a Saturday night. We have had the handoff between the kids when I was younger so that she could do her training and he could do his. And they worked so hard to train their bodies to get where they needed to go, to accomplish the goal that they needed to do. And Paul is saying that people can do that. Um, you know, do people not train their bodies to do what they can do? But there's one thing that cannot be trained, and that is our tongues. Like, um, also, in my childhood, I um, rode horses. I used to do um, dressage and then like hunter jumping um, in middle school and high school. And so you get out there and you'd have to tuck up your horse. Um, and you, you know, the bit, everyone knows what a bit is, right? Like the metal that goes in your mouth. Okay, just making sure. Um, you would, you know, tack up everything. I rode this one horse, Scooby. He was not my horse, but he was big. He was a bigger horse. Um, and he was a you know, great ride, all that. Um, but he was a little bit funny in his head because you would start tacking him up and he would start doing this. I don't have a horse neck, so I can't do it, but he would bite his chest while you're tacking him. And he wasn't going to bite you. He wasn't a mean horse, he was a great horse he hated being tacked and he did not like the bit and the bridle. However, Scooby was about three times my size. So if I did not have that bit in, I'm not about to go ride him bareback and then hold on to his mane because I just don't think Scooby was gonna let me do that. But if I put the bit in his mouth, he was receptive and all of a sudden we could do our job. We could do what I had come to do. We could like, you know, go through the routines, go over the jumps and he was a great horse. But that bit was the key to letting me be able to accomplish the task I'd set out to do, okay? And so, what is our bit? Like, what is our rudder? What is James saying on that? Why do humans have such a difficult time controlling this tiny part of themselves? And the reason is, and this is the thing to take away today, it's because the tongue is really the gateway into what's going on into our hearts and our souls. James is not talking about this. The, today's lesson is not about how to just like bridle your tongue, how to like say the nice things. Anyone can do that. This is about what's going on in our hearts. And so um, Sinclair Ferguson put it well. He said, our tongues are the reporters of our hearts that spread everywhere we go what is actually going on in our hearts. A little bit nerve wracking. Like I heard that, I was like, oh, I don't know that I want that little reporter announcing everything. So James is not just calling for restraint of tongue, but he's calling for spiritual maturity of the heart. Remember, he's talking to, um, to other believers, and he's calling them to develop their heart um, to be more like Christ. Um, and I think that Christians, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I think Christians get it wrong a lot of the time. I think that we think that we are supposed to be sitting on our words just like biting our tongues. We can think the thought, but if we don't say it, we really won. Or that we sugarcoat things. We, you know, I mean, how many people have said, bless your little heart? Like, my mom's from Georgia, bless your little heart. Or, hey, be praying for so-and-so. And really, it's just to spread the gossip, right? Has anyone ever done that or had that done to them? It's not about the fact that it's the gossip. It's about what, like, the heart behind the gossip. It's, that's what James is trying to talk about. I'm not saying don't like bridle your tongue. Yes, like, you know, keep those words in. But Jane, I, what I'm trying to tell you is that James is concerned um, about the heart. So Chris and I have been reading um, The Hiding Place. Y'all know this book? 
Yeah, Corey Ten Boom. She was a missionary. Um, they were she and her family were watchmakers in Holland. Um, in right as the Nazis invaded Holland. Long story short, they end up hiding Jews. Um, she becomes kind of like the head of the underground network to try and get the Jews out as the Nazis are coming in. Um, and we are going to pick up right here. I'm just going to read you like a tiny little excerpt. Um, we're going to pick up where they are in the concentration camps, and um, they, she has just found out who betrayed her family, like why they're there. And um, she's had at least one family member by this point in time die because of being put into the concentration camps. So Corey says um, to her sister, Betsy, Betsy, don't you feel anything about Jan Vogel? Doesn't it bother you? Oh, yes, Corey, terribly. I've felt for him ever since I knew, and I pray for him whenever his name comes to mind. How dreadfully he must be suffering. For a long time, I lay silent in the huge, shadowy barracks, restless with sighs, snores, and stirrings of hundreds of women. Once again, I had the feeling that this sister, with whom I had spent all my life, belonged somehow to another order of beings. She wasn't telling me, or wasn't she telling me in her gentle way, that I was as guilty as Jan Vogel. Didn't he and I stand together before an all-seeing God convicted of the same sin of murder? For I had murdered him with my heart and my tongue. And one thing I left out was right before that she says, now that I know it's Jan Vogel, I could kill him if he was right in front of me, which is very uncorey like But Corey is in the middle of the concentration camps, in the middle of barracks with all these women, feels the same conviction we feel of my heart is, you know, is guilty of basically murder because of what I've said about this man. So James compares um, our speech to fire. He said, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. A tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Um, so Chris and I, when we lived in Austin, um, Live, not live through, but um, we uh, were there when the Bastrop Fire of 2011 happened. Did any, do y'all remember this at all? Okay. I remember like being and working downtown and I would drive home and you could see this wall of black. Like, I mean, and Bastrop and Austin are not close. So um, it was huge. Um, it was the most destructive fire on record, according to the Texas A&M Forest Service. So what happened is on September 4th, um, some high winds caused the trees just to um, be pushed across some power lines, like kind of just brush the power lines, and it caused some sparks that ignited a nearby pine forest. And those little sparks created a fire that continued into October, started September 4th into October, um, and consumed more than 34,000 acres of land and destroyed 95% of the Bastrop State Park, um, dehomed many people, and then killed, I think, a couple of people. And that is what James is saying our speech is like. Um, one spark of gossip, one complaint, an ill-tempered retort can bring years or even a lifetime of damage. But y'all, in the same vein, what does it look like with one time, well-timed bite of encouragement or one prayer or a word for standing, um, standing up for what's right when no one else is? What wildfire will that spike for us? if those are the sparks that we're you know, going. Um, let's look, I wonder if when you were doing your study, what sparks you were kind of convicted of? Were you convicted of gossip and slander? Who's got the divorce? Who has the eating disorder? She looks really thin. Do you think she's got an issue? Um, who's been cheated on? I, you know, like, I mean, we talk. What about complaint? 
Where do our hearts lie with our work? Are we complaining about the good work God's given us? And caveat, this is not, I'm not talking about what Pastor Brian was talking about with the unjust um, boss or that kind of thing. Just like God has give us good, um, given us good work, are we complaining about that? Do we complain about our kids? I know that Chris and I half the time, when it's time for bed, it's like, who's going to read? I mean, because we're all done. Um, but that's complaint in my heart. My heart needs to be renewed to the fact that, like, praise the Lord that I get to read to my children. Um, do we complain about the good gifts that God has given us when we compare the good gifts God has given others? That one is one that I have a hard time with. What about manipulation? Y'all, I told you, this is like the real, real. I mean, we are. Have you ever use your speech or someone come to you with counsel and you have manipulated you've given counsel to manipulate the outcome that you wanted or like manipulate someone in another way I think one big one for believers especially is dissension are we stirring the pot are we praying for the leaders of our church or are we grumbling about the ways that they lead and on top of that are we grumbling to others and then causing this tidal wave of grumbling and dissension um, about our elders or about our pastors instead of the support that they deserve and they need when they're serving, you know, serving the Lord. Another one that doesn't, I don't think hits close to home, but is hate speech. Um, does our speech dehumanize people? Because it sounds like I say hate speech and everyone's like, nope, not me. But if you look at the history of the church, it's not exactly the cleanest history. Not in the church, but Hitler, the, the whole, his whole movement was predicated on taking the Jews down to subhuman level. That they did not deserve to be citizens. They didn't deserve this. And that was how his whole movement started, right? It's like little bits of speech. In the Christian church, or at least under the Christian banner, I shouldn't say in the Christian church, the KKK. You would be surprised to know that when I Googled it for a history of what I thought was going to be the 60s and 70s, 2021, there's um, a KKK called Under the Presence of the White Christian Brotherhood. Mm. I was at a retreat um, this weekend. I got to go um, with some wonderful women. And it was Sunday morning. I had my, um, my book uh, and was out on the patio, ran in to grab some coffee and came back out. And one of the ladies on the retreat goes, hey, I've got to ask you about, are, are you a part of this group? The immediate answer when someone asks you that is, no, I'm not, because you don't know what the group's going to be. I was like, no, mm, no, I'm not part of that group. Um, she had coincidentally been, had run for office, and so she had a couple of billboards. And this man, who does not know her, um, decided to, like, just pour forth hate speech. So she showed me this video, and we don't need to watch the video, but I did write down some of what he said, because literally every second that it was on, my mouth just dropped more and more. So some of the things he said was, I reject women in any position of authority. He was mad that she was a woman running for a um, as judge seat. What a curse to our nation. Where in the Bible does it say, oh, here's the virtuous woman. She's the judge. What man campaigns for his wife? And he called him a, um, the husband a sick freak. Does not know this man. Are you going to let her hand you an apple too? When a woman is on the top of the free world, we are doomed. <laughs> That should be terrifying to you. And then this was the kicker. This was the singer. You're an idiot if you vote for a woman. You're a fool and you hate the word of God. Now, y'all, the thing I didn't tell you about this man is he's a pastor, and he was saying all this from behind a pulpit under the guise of Christian education. And so 
That is what James is talking about in verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Can a grapevine produce um, figs? He's under the guise of a pastor. He's supposed to be shepherding people under Christ's name. And here he is, his speech is showing a very different fruit, right? So I say that, and I know that that's a horrible illustration, but that was now. That was not long ago, within six months ago. That it, so the hate speech is real. We have to be aware of it. But ultimately, why does this matter? Because James tells us that all of these, um, like every animal on earth can be tamed. And we've seen it. We've seen lions and tigers tamed. We've seen the you know, videos with the gorillas or the elephants that recognize their trainer after 20 years kind of deal. Y'all have all seen those. Um, even I've seen wolves become like domestic animals. So every um, animal can be tamed except for James says one, and that is the tongue. He says it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And this is supposed to hearken us back to push our minds back to the serpent in the garden. Um, from, whom, uh, from whose words issued the first temptation that led to death. Doesn't that remind you of the pastor? Like I just like that full of deadly poison. It just reminds me of him. Um, we are image bearers of the one true God, and we get to be part of his royal priesthood. So we cannot have a tongue that can be compared to the serpent from which the beginning of the fall kind of started, um, while we identify ourselves as heirs of God our Father. James and the rest of the Bible is so, um, so severe on simple speech, <coughs> not because of the speech itself. Yes, that, that is like the fruit, and we don't want to see that, but because of the sign of the lack of um, maturity and growth in a believer. That's really the true concern is the heart. He's worried about what is coming out of our mouths is showing that like there's no growth there. Um, lack of fruit or the evidence of the wrong type of fruit in someone who declares um, to follow Christ grieves him. We cannot bless God with one side of our mouth and then curse those whom he has made in um, his image with the other. That would be basically cursing God. If you're cursing someone made in his image, his creation. Because if we do that, are we really seeing change? Like, are we really, um, are our hearts really growing to be like Christ? So, how do we change? How do we get better? Um, this passage is, first, um, is hard, firstly, because of how deeply and universally I think it convicts. Um, if you're not squirming in your seat when you hear James's call, I'm not sure you're listening. Because I think that there's not a person in this room or a person on this earth that the sin of like sinful speech has not touched. But James is not about being tactful. We see like kind of like a Paul in him, like this like rush forward, you know, like Paul sometimes is like, all right, guys, we got to get it done. James is like this right now. Um, he's not about being tactful or even like encouraging. There's no encouragement in this passage. Um, he is about spurring on his fellow believers um, into spiritual maturity and into continued growth in Christ. That is his priority. So while we squirm and we also want to do better, we want by the power of the Holy Spirit to be more like Christ. Like we don't want to be more like Christ, but in the Holy Spirit, we want to be more like Christ, right? So the second reason that this passage is so hard is because it feels like there aren't any like applicable fixes. Um, we wait for and we're disappointed in the lack of like prescriptive text or speech from James. There's no to-do list. There's no box to check. Um, and for that reason, and for the reason, um, our, our, sorry, the reason for our disappointment becomes clear. We cannot get better. We cannot do better. You can try as you might, 
you're always going to get back to it. On our own, apart from the Holy Spirit, our hearts don't want to change. In fact, they very much want to stay the same. Gossip feels good sometimes. It boosts you up and it makes you feel superior with what you know about him. Slander, even for a brief moment, makes you feel better um, about your life and what you've done because clearly you're better than the person that you're spreading the lies about. Dissension feels so good because misery loves company and how easy it is to complain and to grumble about the way someone is doing something when you could have done it three times better in half the time. Our flesh does not want to part with these things, y'all. It is self-seeking. What, um, what gratifies it and what strokes its ego, it's going to chase. But the good news is, here's our good news. We've been waiting. The good news is the Holy Spirit stirs and he begins to work. And while we see that we have a tongue that is nearly impossible to train and almost unusable for good um, for others outside of, our cell, or outside of the Holy Spirit, just put on ourselves, and unable to put forth shalom by ourselves, Christ can change us. Not only can he change us, but in dying on the cross, he has taken all of what we just talked about, all of the hard, all of the depths of human depravity that lie in our hearts, and, and he himself, uh, on himself, and he paid the price for every foul word we've said, every bad thought that has come through our hearts. And so like we sang this past Sunday, to this I, um, I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus, now and evermore is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free. Yet not, not I, but through Christ in me. There is no way for us to tame our own tongue, y'all. But through Christ, there is. And through Christ, our speech goes from sparks of dissension and condemnation to sparks of joy and life-giving and blessing. Um, yesterday, as you know, was Ash Wednesday, and so um, my husband Chris sent me this um, poem. And I love it because it's talking, um, at the end you'll see, it's basically talking about the rejoicing when that ash goes on your forehead because you have said, I am a sinner. <coughs> Woe to me, I am a sinner. Um, and that is when, like, you know, the change happens. So I'm going to read it for you real quick. Um, here's your poem for the month. I'm not a big poem girl, but anyway, okay. Um, it's called Ash Wednesday. Um, it's by Malcolm Gweet, I think. Um, receive this cross of ash upon your brow, brought from the burning of Palm Sunday's cross. The forests of the world are burning now, and you make late repentance for the loss. But all the trees of God would clap their hands. The very stones themselves would shout and sing. If you could covenant to love these lands and recognize in Christ their Lord and King. He sees the slow destruction of the trees. He weeps to see the ancient places burn. And still you make what purchases you please, and still to dust and ashes you return. But hope could rise from ashes even now, beginning with this sign upon your brow. So we can take courage and hope in knowing that Christ has defeated our sin. Um, he was the perfect man in verse 2 that was able to bridle his mouth um, amidst not only the discomforts and the challenges that we all face every day, but the torment and the ridicule and ultimately the death that men brought forth um, among, or upon him. Um, he is faithful to walk with us and to change our hearts that in turn our speech might also change. Go forward and know that he will be with you.